0: the book of 1 Samuel tonight. Or 1 Samuel chapter 10. Most of our uh, scriptures tonight is going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, but I'm going to read a couple verses before. Uh, well, actually go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 20. I want you to go there first and then you can go to 1 Samuel. We're going to spend most of our time there. But I want to talk tonight about, uh, we're going to talk about King Saul and talk about Saul's, Fatal example that he set for his son. You know, we've got a lot of good examples in the Bible of things, and then we you got some bad ones. And Saul is a bad example, and it's sad too because Saul. I mean, he started out really good. He started out; he he was he was a great man, Um, but you know, he was the you know perfect candidate for king. He had all the looks, and he had the strength, and he had all the outward stuff, but he lacked on the inside big time. He was missing a lot of a lot of character. And the story of Saul, it's it's a very sad one. And just uh, the relationship with his son, Jonathan. Jonathan, who was a very good man, a very godly man, who was very close to David. And we're, uh, we're not going to have time to read through all the passages, but I wanna, we're going to look at a couple key points and things in Saul's life and where it eventually led when it came to his son. Because that's something we've all got to think about. You know, when you have children... You think about you know, your example to other people, but it's important. I want to have a good testimony for this community. I want to have a good testimony uh, for the people in our church. But what I really want to have it for my kids. That is very important there. And uh, so there's some things that we can learn from Saul. I guess we can learn what not to do. But Matthew chapter 20, verse 27, says, Jesus is talking here and He says, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So if you want to be the chief, if you want to be the guy on top, which the disciples, they were always having that discussion of who was going to be the greatest. That was very common with them. And Jesus knew their hearts and He makes this statement. He said, whoever's going to be chief needs to be the servant. So he said, that's what you need to do. Now that's something that people who are looking to be the boss, people who are looking to be on top, they don't think a whole lot about being a servant and lowering themselves. But then Jesus, that kind of goes against our nature. It goes against how we think. But Jesus goes on and then He says, even as the Son of Man. He uses Himself as an example. He said, I've said, Jesus said, I've set an example for you. I've showed you how to do it. Jesus Christ took on Himself the form of a servant. And He showed them how to do it. And the disciples, they did figure it out. They did learn it. And they did go on and they continued with what Jesus had taught them. They did a lot of great things. And so, uh, Jesus Christ, I mean, He talked about the, uh, the example. Jesus Christ set an example. He didn't command us to do something that He didn't do. And I tell you, that's very, I I think that's very important too. Whenever we're trying to teach other people things, we need to make sure that we're doing them ourselves. Okay, if I'm, if I run a business and I'm running a successful business and I'm going and I'm telling everybody, you know, the way to be successful is you need to be honest. I mean, you need to be hardworking, you need to be honest, you need to have integrity, and the Lord will bless your business. But then I'm telling everybody this, that they need to do that, but then in the meantime, I'm as crooked as I'll get out. I'm robbing people. I'm cheating people. I mean, I'm doing all these things wrong. That's not a good example, and it's a lot more important to be doing it right. But Romans chapter ten verse thirteen says, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. He said to call in the name of the Lord, or to be or to be saved, you have to call on the name of the Lord. Well, how can they do that if there's nobody preaching the gospel? How can people get saved if there's nobody telling them how? If there's nobody taking the Bible and showing them the way. It can't be done. Somebody's got to set the example. Somebody's got to do it. I'm, tell, I'm telling you right now, you know, if you're going to be a good soul winner, it's going to help if you're a saved person. If you're somebody who's experienced salvation. Now, there's, I've heard people before who were soul winners that won people to Christ and had never been saved themselves. That's possible, but the reason they were able to do that is they were preaching, you know, they were using the Bible, they were using the Gospel, and so the Gospel still had an effect and it still accomplished something in spite of them being lost. But you know what, it's always better when you're saved and you've experienced it. But, so, that example, it's so important. If we're going to get anybody to follow us, if we're going to get anybody to do anything, we've got to be setting that example. And Saul, we're going to look at some areas in his life where he was a horrible example, and if we're All of us, if we're not careful, and we have the same kind of example, it is going to be devastating for those that we want to be following that we want following us. So first Samuel chapter ten, verse ten says, And when they came thither to the hill, behold a company of the prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw that behold he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that has come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? This here is right after Saul has been anointed king. This was early in his life when Saul was doing good. I mean, Saul was on the right path. He uh, He was going to do something great for God. He was going to be the king. And we see early on, he was doing it right. Early on, I mean, God was using them. He was prophesying. But you know, unfortunately, we don't ever see that again. Later on, we don't see Saul. I mean, we see the total opposite. We see him totally going against God. And we're going to look at some of those examples of the things we did. But this verse that we just read here is not consistent at all with the rest of Saul's life. And you know, a lot of times people, they like to talk about the things that they used to do. For example, uh I there's been a lot of people that I've known in the past that like to talk about the things that they've done in the ministry or the things that you know back when you know they used to go soul winning all the time and they used to see all these people saved and they used to do all these different things in church. And you know, you find if you actually dig and you know get some specifics on it, it was when they were in Bible college and they were being forced to do all those things. And so it's like but you know who cares about what you used to do? Right, if it's going to be something that if you really want to make a difference and pass that on, you need to be doing it throughout your life. Okay, you know, right now, I mean, my kids are still pretty young. I'm still I'm still fairly young. Um, right now, I'm trying to live for God. and I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do. I mean, my kids—they've got to see, uh, you know, what it's like, you know, living uh, in a family that's uh, you know living in full time in the ministry. They know a little bit of that. I've tried to teach them how to serve and how to follow after God, but if from here on out I take a completely different path, it's probably not going to work. I mean, there's a good chance that right now uh, if I were to say, you know what? Forget this religion thing. Chances are, same thing's probably going to happen with them. And you know, when I'm 50 or 60 years old and I'm regretting it, my kids are a mess and I'm wishing I... I'd have done things different. You know, I can talk and say, man, you know, I mean, Lord, I did this for you. Lord, I did that for you. And look at my kids now. But, you know, the truth is, I quit. And they followed me, and they quit too. Maybe they just quit at an earlier age than I did. But the truth is, they followed my example, and that inconsistency, it's going to kill you. I've seen that in families where, I mean, they're constantly changing religions. They're constantly changing churches. They're constantly changing their standards and convictions. I mean, one month, I mean, you know, something's a huge sin, and then the next month they're in it. I mean, just in and out. I've known people who were probably not as good of Christians as they should be. They were probably they weren't really as involved. They didn't really have the standards and things that they should have, but they were consistent. And I'm telling you, people who are consistent, even if they're not exactly what they should be. Usually, turn out some pretty good kids, but people who are just all over the place, it is—it's bad. What usually happens there? Consistency is something that everybody wants. Listen, kids—they don't mind. You know, they'll fight you on a lot of things. You know, if you make a decision, hey, our family—you know—we're gonna—we're gonna be faithful to the house of God. Oh, Dad, I'd rather play video games. I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather do other stuff. They might fight on it a little bit. But you know what? When they get really frustrated whenever you try to lead, it's when you have a huge history of starting something and then quitting it. They they want to see that consistency. They need to know that, hey, if Dad says we're going to start doing this, we're going to start doing it. And we're going to keep doing it. And it's going to be a lifelong thing. And Saul, good start, but it didn't last real long. And we're gonna see how it ended with Jonathan because Jonathan he was Jonathan was was a good man. He was a godly man, but it still ended bad for him because of Saul. Another thing we see in Saul's life, and this one will get you in trouble. This kind of thing gets kids out of church so fast. One uh, Samuel chapter nineteen. Go to chapter nineteen and verse one. It says, "And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and all his servants that they should kill David." Now. This is Jonathan's best friend. I mean, these guys were close. And he's telling, telling them, we are going to kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, "Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? I mean, imagine how that must have felt for Jonathan. He loves David. And he loves Saul. He loves him a lot. I think we can see that when you when you read throughout, even though but even though he was against what his dad was doing, and how it must have grieved his heart to have to go behind his dad's back and to have to take a stand against his father, who he loved. But he had to do it because what his father was trying to do was completely wrong. And it was hatred that motivated Saul to do that. It was hatred. It was jealousy. And boy, you know one thing that happens a lot of times, even in church, you wouldn't think this would happen, but boy, it's common. You'll have people, they go to the church, and you know, it's like after you go to a church for so many years, you're never going to (laughs) leave. No matter how much you hate it. And it's like there's people sitting in churches today that hate going to church. I mean, they hate it. They hate everybody in the church. They're bitter, they got a bad attitude, there's people in there they don't want to talk to, they don't have anything to do with, they just have bad feelings for them. You know, that's the nice thing about a new church, you know, nobody's been here long enough yet to where they feel like they have to stay if they hate everybody, you know. But it's like after a while, there's just, there's no getting rid of them. But, uh, people do that. And they're always Talking about this person bad and saying bad stuff about everybody in the church and and criticizing people and you know here's the thing if your kids go to church for a long time they're going to start making friends in that church they're even even other adults I mean the, you know the the adults that I had that were in my dad's church I mean I, I love those people I still do they're like family and you know a lot of you know my Sunday school teachers and, and things that I had I mean you just You become a family, and you love those people. And boy, it would be really tough to listen to your father or your mother just running them down all the time. People that you care about, people you love, good people. But maybe you know, there's just you had some little disagreement, and boy, that kind of hatred, it's gonna affect the kids. They're gonna they're gonna start feeling it too, and pretty soon, what it usually ends up happening, I mean, they they grow up. Bitter and hating everybody in the church, and then as soon as they get to where they don't have to do it, they're not going to do it. They don't have anything to do with it, and they, uh and once again, a lot of that comes from just hatred of God's people. It's so, like I said, it, it seems crazy, but it is. It can be very, very common. And Saul so, here, he is hating David without a cause, doing wrong, and his son has to see him do it. Here's him plotting this. Well, your kids—they—they they need to see, or they—you they, should never let them see you doing things like that. You've got to set that kind of example. You just shouldn't be doing it, period. But I mean, to be open about it—I mean, they—they kids—they see their parents and they see them being completely phony and going completely against what you know they're what they're saying. Is right. I'm sure Saul is the king when he was making his speeches and things. Talked about, you know, how he's going to fight for justice and do right and all that. And his son hears that, but then behind closed doors, he hears him plotting to kill David. And I just, I can't even imagine how that must have grieved the heart of Jonathan. This is his best friend that he was talking about. You know, and those, those people in the church that, you know, you might get mad at, you know, be careful. That might be your kid's Sunday school teacher. It might be. Uh, I mean somebody that they love and somebody that they respect and it and that's good you know I, I want my kids to love the other people in the church I want them to have that same thing that I had with some of the adults and things that I was around growing up and so you know if that's gonna happen it's gonna really help if I'm not at home just trashing everybody in the church all the time and you know you want your kids to do it for the pastor sometimes I mean you I don't know if you've ever heard this statement before, you know, going home on Sunday afternoon and having roast preacher for lunch. That's that's very common where every Sunday folks come, afterwards they go home for lunch, and they just criticize everything the preacher talked about. And I've known people like this. They criticize the preacher all the time, but then the preacher gets up one time and he preaches a message to the teenagers about obeying your parents, about not being rebellious. And then all of a sudden, the parents... They're like, "Yo, you kids should be listening to that." And they're like, "Why?" <laughs> you know, everything just because that's convenient for you, just because you like that cuz you criticize everything else he says. When he preaches against one of your sins, it's always something wrong with him. You just pick and choose what you want. That is the worst thing you could ever do. Listen, I can I can take criticism. I can take all the criticism in the world. As long as it's behind my back and I don't have to hear it. You know what? Wait, what I don't hear, what I don't know, won't hurt me. But it could destroy your kids. Because there may be something that's being taught that they really need. And I, I, I've seen that over and over again. And then some parents, they've got the gall and the audacity that when they run the preacher down all the time, whenever they're trying to get their kid to do something they want, they will try to use the preacher. To get their kids on track. It's like that is not gonna work. And it just gets them more upset. Now they'll stick to the preach on them. It's like, Pastor, you need to come visit my kids. They're you know, they're fighting me in this area, and and we know, you know, you preach against this and you know, and you need to talk to them. Now, let me tell you something. That pastor is not gonna do a bit of good in that situation. In fact, he is only going it's only gonna make it worse. Because that hatred there and that inconsistency it's just devastating for for kids and especially for teenagers and teenagers boy they they expect to be perfect to begin with but you know at the same time though they'll cut you a little bit of slack but if you get that blatantly obvious about it you're going to be in big trouble and uh it's very very dangerous don't go hating people especially people that don't deserve it david Definitely didn't deserve it. David never did one thing wrong. I mean, really, the only thing—the really—the only thing that caused Saul to hate David, the only reason was because he heard somebody singing that song one time. Saul had slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. That was pretty much it. And after that, oh, I mean, that was it. David didn't do that. David didn't write that song. David wasn't singing that song. It was somebody else. And it just got in his head and absolutely consumed him with hatred. And just, and then in verse 6, it says of chapter 19, and Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan's been going and telling his dad, you know, don't do this. Don't shed innocent blood. And it said, and Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, He shall not be slain. He promises his son. I mean, his son, he's sad that his dad's plotting this. He's feeling bad. You know, he's caught between two people that he loves dearly. And he knows that the one that he probably loved even more and wanted to respect more, he knew he was dead wrong. And he gets his father to promise that he won't do anything. And he says, As the Lord liveth. He shall not be slain. Verse 7, And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. So David does a great thing for the kingdom again. He does a great thing for Saul. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Uh, you may remember the story before where Saul there was an evil spirit from the Lord, troubling Saul. That evil spirit, it was brought well uh we're gonna, we're gonna go back and look at kind of what brought that on, but it was a sin of Saul. That brought that on. Saul was, uh, got himself in trouble. And the only thing that could help him was music. Music from David. David would come and he'd play that harp and that evil spirit, uh, that bad attitude or that, that anger, whatever was in his heart, it would leave him. But this time it didn't do it. This time David's there playing for Saul trying to help him. And Saul takes a javelin and tries to kill David. After he made that promise to his son that he wouldn't hurt him. I can't imagine what that must have been like for David to have, or for Jonathan, for Jonathan to have to watch that, to see his father that's troubled by this evil spirit, and to see him just completely. After David wins another battle, remember the David who killed Goliath. I mean, the David who keeps delivering Israel and helping Israel and making Saul look good. He's there playing his harp. For Saul, this should be a relaxing, peaceful moment. This should be something that's make bringing a smile to Saul's face. But Saul, so filled with rage and so filled with hatred, he goes and he breaks his promise to his son, tries to kill David. And I'm telling you, lying is going to get you in trouble every time. We need people to trust us if we want them to follow us. If I want if I want my kids to, be fought to follow me, I better not be lying to them. I better be telling the truth. As a pastor, I need to—if I want people to listen to what I'm teaching, I need to make sure I'm preaching the truth. That's why, you know, I'm care—I want to make sure I get plenty of Bible for my messages. I don't want my—I don't—I don't want to even be lying on accident. You know that—that's that's thing people run. You been lie on accident. Well, I, I didn't mean—I—I I thought it was true. Well, the thing is, even if you think it's true. You're still spreading a lie, okay? If I'm, you know, making up stories. If I, you know, if, if I hear a rumor that Brother Lonnie drinks gutter water, and I'm going, <laughs> I don't know what. That's a long story. why. I was like use that as an example, and I'm going around telling people that Brother Lonnie drinks gutter water, and I think I'm telling the truth. But if it's not true, I'm spreading a lie, aren't I? I'm going to lose my credibility. That's why, I tell you, that's why in church, I you preach the word. Listen, I I like so y'all know I enjoy good conspiracy theory and everything. And you know I'm, I'm scared of the government as anybody else. But you know, I, I don't preach a lot of that stuff. Some people do, just because I don't know if it's true. And so, if it's not, I don't want to go spreading a lie, especially behind the pulpit. So it's like I I know I'm safe when I stay in the book and when I stay in God's word because that's it's going to get me in, it's going to get me in big trouble. If I'm wrong in the one area, then others are going. You know, what other areas is he wrong in? And that happens a lot. That's why we got to be careful and make sure that we stay close to the truth. And Saul just—I mean—he flat out broke his promise that he had made with his son. Lying will get you in trouble every time. Nobody's going to. Nobody wants to follow a liar. And then the last thing I want to look at. This is a little earlier in Saul's life. First Samuel. Fifteen. This is kind of where it really, really went downhill with Saul. Verse 22, 1 Samuel 15, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, in stubbornness, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. What's happened here, God told Saul to go uh, and to just utterly destroy, I believe it was the Agagites, or Amalek, uh, I forgot which group it was exactly. He wanted to go and destroy them. But he didn't. He kept a lot of the best sheep. He kept the king to be a servant for him and Saul, and then Samuel confronts Saul, and he said, "Hey, why didn't you obey the Lord?" He's like, "I did." He said, "What's he's bleeding of the sheep? Why do I hear sheep? Did you take of these things?" He's like, "Yeah, I took them, but I, I took them so I could sacrifice them to the Lord. I took them so I can go do a good thing." And Samuel says, "Hey, to obey is better than sacrifice. The Lord appreciated sacrifices. He liked the sacrifices, but he likes obedience a whole lot better." But Saul, he was rebellious. Flat out went against the Word of God. And then, not only was he just rebellious, but he was stubborn about it. Didn't want to change his mind. Didn't want to admit that he was wrong. And he said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness. It says iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness will destroy you. One thing you got to do as a father, as a mother, as a leader of any kind. When you are wrong, come clean and admit it and then go do the right thing. Don't just... you know, Saul, that's the biggest thing with Saul. We see here Saul, he lost his kingdom because of this. uh, That sin has got him in huge trouble. It killed his relationship with God. It lost him the kingdom. I mean, God was very upset with this. But you know, the funny thing is, if you go and you look at the sin that David did, when David was king, it was a lot worse than that. David went he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband to try to cover up what he had done. I mean, David's sin, I think, was a lot worse. But David, when he was confronted, he repented. He, he was sorry. He was sorrowful for what he did. When God punished David, it cost David four of his children, four horrible instances. He paid fourfold. David never complained to God. He never got mad at God. He only got mad at himself. David admitted what he did was wrong. Saul didn't. Saul was, he was stubborn about it. Just wouldn't admit that he was wrong. Tried to justify it. And I'm telling you, stubbornness. God hates it. God hates it so much, and it is a horrible, horrible example to set for anyone. People need, people need to see how to swallow their pride and then just go on and do the right thing. But boy, when they when they see that, it's devastating. And Jonathan, that's what he lived with. Jonathan lived with a man who was inconsistent. He lived with a man who was full of hatred. He lived with a man who was a liar, who was stubborn. That was the man that he loved. That was the man that he respected. But you know what? You never see Jonathan do any of those things. And that's the thing. The examples in your life... They might not necessarily be good ones, but it doesn't mean that you have to sin. That's a, that's a good lesson we can learn from Jonathan. But, at the same time, the end still was bad for Jonathan. The truth is, Jonathan should have been the next king of Israel. But his father lost the kingdom. And you know the, the crazy thing about it, even after David was anointed to be king, you would think if anybody would have gotten mad, it would have been Jonathan. Wait a minute. I'm the next king. We don't ever see Jonathan getting upset about it. It didn't seem to bother him. Jonathan still loved David. I mean that that kind of blows my mind about Jonathan right there. He's he doesn't have a problem with it. It was his he still loves his father, even though his father's pretty much lost the kingdom. And in 1 Samuel 31, you say, well Jonathan never sinned, but yet it still ended bad for him. John 1 Samuel chapter 31. Verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. And Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men that same day together. Notice, the Philistines, whenever David was fighting them, they were always running from the army. They were always on the run. They were always losing. David was always getting victories because the victories that took place in the Bible—they were the Lord's victories. I mean, they Israel constantly was winning battles that they had no business winning when they were godly, when they were doing the right thing. And David—he when he fought, he won even against Goliath. He shouldn't have, but God was on his side. God was not on. Saul's side and when Saul goes and he's fighting this battle Jonathan's still right there with him you'd think at this point in his life Jonathan would have said you know what I'm done with you dad I'm going to go I'm going to stay with David I'm going to go fight with David but he didn't do that he's still there with his dad he's still following him he's still fighting with him but he's fighting in a battle that they can't win The leader is not right with God. The leader has been going against God and God can't bless that leader and Jonathan gets killed not because of anything bad that Jonathan did. Jonathan didn't do anything wrong. I don't even believe it was wrong necessarily for Jonathan to be fighting in this battle with his father. But Jonathan died because it was a result of him just being the son of a wicked man of him being uh, in the army of a man who was not right with God and was rebellious and you whenever we do not do the right thing there is going to be others that are around us that are going to hurt as a result of it If we as a, as, as a church uh, you as a Christian if you're not the kind of Christian that you should be it's gonna it's gonna hurt your family they might not get saved maybe your friends, your co-workers, people that were supposed to be, Winning to Christ, your neighbors, people in this community. If we're not the right kind of church, it's going to be bad for all of them. As a church, if we don't stay faithful to God, if we don't do the right thing, if we don't preach the gospel like we're supposed to preach, then we're going to put we're going to turn out the wrong kind of people that are doing the wrong thing. That are also gonna it's that it's going to end badly for. I tell you, it's Saturday. You know, we we still have churches all over the place. There's still a lot of people going to church yet a lot of the junk that's going on in people's lives are stuff it's that stuff's not supposed to go on in the life of a Christian. There's stuff the Bible says is not to be once named among you. But because churches don't preach against anything because they're not proclaiming the word of God because they're using books other than the word of God, the results are bad. And these people are trying to they're doing their best. They're following the teaching that's going on behind the pulpit, but it's the wrong teaching, and they're hurting and they're suffering as a result of it. And boy, we've got to we've got to understand how important it is that we set the right kind of example, because it's it's going to cause people to get hurt that shouldn't get hurt. And this is that the story of Saul's death and Jonathan's death. It's a sad. It's a very sad story. It just, it shouldn't have happened that way. It wasn't God's plan for that, for it to end like that. God wanted to use Saul. God could have used Saul. But Saul, boy, that stubbornness that he had. He just couldn't get victory. And it wouldn't be that sad if it was just Saul that got hurt as a result of it. If it had just been Saul that suffered, well, he got what he deserved, but it wasn't. It was a whole lot of other people. And that's, a, that's the horrible thing about sin. You know, that's why I'm just going to be honest with you. I would be okay with alcohol and drugs and all that stuff if they were the only ones that would get hurt as a result of it. But it's not. It's so many other people. Like, you know, in, in Chicago... They're talking about banning energy drinks because there's been like four people die in the last five years as a result of them, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, what about alcohol? There's been a lot more than that, and it's not, and we're talking about the people that just were drinking it, people who weren't, but yet somebody else was, and maybe they killed them in a car wreck, or maybe they killed them, you know. And, cause they were, their behavior was messed up because they were under the influence. Why isn't anybody talking about that? I mean, what's, what's wrong with this picture? You know, people, and, uh, it's like, why can't they get this? Why can't they understand it? I mean, look at what innocent people are getting hurt because if it was just them, like, oh well. You know, that's what happens to stupid people. You know, <laughs> you know, it's, and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily like the seatbelt law. It's like, if I don't wear a seatbelt and I get in a wreck, I hurt myself. Okay, it's just, it's just me. You know, I'm okay with laws about reckless driving and, you know, maybe even talking, you know, texting while you're driving, stuff like that because, hey, if somebody else is doing that, I, somebody else might get hurt as a result. But if it's just gonna hurt me, you know, I don't want people to hurt themselves, but, I don't know that we ought to necessarily make laws <laughs> to stop it, but it's the stuff that hurts other people. That's the thing we've got to realize. And the truth is, even things that just there, there is there is nothing that only hurts us. All of us we you know, we affect everybody. I can go and say, you know, hey, it's my body. If I want to take drugs, fine with me. But you know what? If I end my life prematurely, that's going to affect my whole family, and that's selfish and that's wrong and I have no business doing that and Saul clearly was not ever thinking about his son he wasn't thinking about he was thinking only about himself, only thinking about the hatred that he had in his heart for David. I'm here today to tell you that thinking about the people that I influence is what keeps me from a lot of sin. It really does because there's I, I don't want I, I don't want my kids. You know going the wrong direction I don't want their lives being destroyed I don't want them to die in early death and so I gotta set that right kind of example and so I, I hope you'll have that desire so Saul was a bad example we looked at a bad example tonight but you know we've got good examples too Jesus he used himself as an example whosoever be chief among you let him be your servant so Jesus showed him how to even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. We need to set that example like Jesus did. So let's all stand together.